Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 2, and Jesus opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We won't get that far tonight because of the depth of what we're going to be taking a look at. If you remember the last time we were together, we looked at blessed are the poor in spirit, and we realized that Jesus was saying that blessed are those who realize they're spiritually poor, spiritually bankrupt. There's no one righteous, not even one. You have to realize your lostness in order to be saved, and you have to come to a point, and that's the Spirit's work, to help you realize that you are a sinner and separated from God. We dealt with that last time. But now we're going to deal with the second one, Blessed are those who mourn. Have you ever heard anybody say, yeah, I'm a sinner, but that's all right. I'm going to party in hell with all my buddies. You ever heard that kind of attitude? See, there's one thing to acknowledge you're a sinner. It's one thing to acknowledge that you've broken God's law. It's a different thing to mourn because of it. And what we're going to talk about tonight, not only for the lost person, needing to not only realize they're a sinner, but to be grieved over their sin. As you're going to see tonight, these principles, these truths apply not only to the lost person, but also to the believer. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit as well. Go to Acts chapter 2 real quick. Go to Acts chapter 2 and look at verses 36 through 41. Peter's preaching at Pentecost. And by the way, this is a really awesome message because I promise you there's none of Peter involved because he didn't know he was preaching He didn't sit up the night before and work up all the things he wanted to say. The Holy Spirit took over at this point and began to speak through him. And these are the words of Jesus. And we're going to look at the whole sermon. But he gets to the end of his sermon in verse 36. And he says this, the Holy Spirit through him says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I want to chase a rabbit real quick. I taught you before. Avoid preachers who chase rabbits because the only reason you should ever chase a rabbit when you're preaching or teaching is if the rabbit can be caught and if it catch it, it tastes good. This is a rabbit that can be caught and it tastes great. So we're going to chase it for a second. Notice how the Holy Spirit was the one who brought these people to repentance. It was the Holy Spirit who was the one who did his work of cutting them to the heart We've been taught to share the gospel with people and then try to close the deal. You ever heard the term draw the net? And we've been taught that you've been to any kind of evangelistic uh, training. They'll teach you whether it's uh, four spiritual laws or share Jesus without fear or uh, the Roman road or all these different ways. We've been taught to begin on page one of the tract, get them to page 10 and then ask them this question. Would you like to pray that prayer right now? And folks, listen closely to me. That is the Holy Spirit's work, and we should not try to help him. 
they were cut to the heart. Peter just preached. They were cut to the heart, and they were the ones who said, what should we do? We've been taught to tell them what to do. But we're telling them what to do before the Holy Spirit's finished his work. We wonder why our churches are the way they are, but you know why they're the way they are? And there's lots of reasons, but one of them is this. We have been taught to get people to pray the prayer, and we've got a lot of people that have prayed the prayer who are rocky soil conversions. They sprung up, sure look like salvation, but they have no real root. They're not saved. When trouble comes, they go away. And those people are in our pews, in our churches, in our chairs. We have been taught to teach people to just say, hey, would you like to pray that prayer right now? And our churches are full of thorny soil conversions. They spring up. They sure look like salvation. We're not even to baptize them. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth are going to choke them in time. And folks, we have been taught that it's our job to push them over the edge. You want them, give them an opportunity to respond. Listen, the scriptures all the way through show that that is God's work. They were the ones who said, brothers, what shall we do? The jailer says, brother, what, Paul, what must I do to be saved? The Ethiopian eunuch is the one who says, here's what's water. What keeps me from being baptized? Folks, Jesus shared the gospel with Nicodemus, planted the seed, watered it, and left it alone. I challenge you to show me anywhere in the scripture when someone says, would you like to do that right now? That's the Holy Spirit's work. And back to what we're talking about, blessed are those who mourn. Like I told you, there's lots of people that would say, yeah, I break God's law, I'm a sinner, but it's no big deal. There's one thing to realize you're a sinner. It's another thing to mourn for it. And blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are grieved because of that. I mean, we're not going to turn there, but you remember in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, where Jesus has been teaching in Peter's boat, and uh, he then turns to Peter and says, hey, why don't we just go out into the water, in the deep water, and throw out the nets for a catch? Peter says, we fished all night, but because you say so, I'll humor you, Jesus, and uh, we'll go do it. Of course, the moment all those fish come into the boat, what is Peter's reaction? He falls down before him and says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. Look at verses 1 through 5. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, and each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Look at Isaiah's reaction when he's taken in a vision into the throne room of God in heaven, and he sees the angels, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah's response is mourning, grief, woe is me, I'm in trouble. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and I've just seen God. Now, let me ask you a question. Was this before or after Isaiah was saved that he had his reaction? Be careful, because I set you up. It don't matter. As I'm going to have you see from the Scriptures, this whole attitude of grieving over our sin should not only happen in order for us to be saved, it must continue after salvation. And I'm going to show you from Scripture what the Bible talks about that. I want to talk to Christians tonight. 
I want you, those that are listening online and those of you that are here to hear me, I believe that the Lord has shown me in great detail and I don't have time to go into it as much as I want to, that true kingdom people are never comfortable with their sin. But what has happened to the church today is we have become comfortable with our sin. We've allowed the truth of the fact that we're eternally secure to cause us to relax when it comes to sin. And we approve of things that the Bible said should never have been approved of. And you're going to see from the scriptures tonight that actually true believers are people that still grieve over their sin, mourn over their sin. Well, don't just take my word for it. Go to James chapter 4. Now, I'm going to ask you ahead of time, is, is James writing to believers or non-believers? Now, you think this is a trick question, but it's not. He's writing to believers. You're going to see it very clearly. He's writing to believers in this passage. And look at James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? By the way, that doesn't happen in church. Why don't we just skip on? I mean, just, you know, that doesn't happen. Is, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. Wait a minute. How do we murder? You're going to get to that in more detail when we get further in the Sermon on the Mount. But how do Christians murder each other when they have passions and are at war with each other? They slander. They talk badly about others. Good for you. You saw that, and I'm glad. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask, and then you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it's to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? That's talking to believers. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and what? Mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Here, James writing to Christians saying, you guys are all living in the flesh, even though you're born again, even though you've been saved and the Spirit's in you and God's given his Spirit to live within you. You're living in the flesh so much that you're jockeying for position and treating each other wrongly. And you shouldn't be excited about this. You shouldn't be okay with it. You should be mourning over this fact. We'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verses 1 and following. Paul says it's actually reported, writing to the church in Corinth, it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans, those that don't know the Lord. For a man in your church has his father's wife. In other words, we don't know the specifics of it. We know this much. There's a guy in the church who's sleeping with his father's wife. Look at what he says next. And you're arrogant. He's probably put in leadership. They were approving of it in some way. They're okay with it. Ought you not rather to what? To mourn? Shouldn't you be grieved over this? By the way, let me ask you a question. Does the Holy Spirit grieve when we sin? I mean, the Bible's pretty clear. 
We, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit when we sin after salvation. Well, if Jesus is grieved over our sin, shouldn't we, we be? Shouldn't we be? But that's been lost in the church. He says, are you rather not to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For absent in body, I'm present in spirit. And as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you're dissembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Lord, if we deal with it, he might leave because he's and he's a big giver. Exactly. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, you guys got stuff going on in your churches that you allow and, and, nobody, and you're okay with it. You don't realize it's crippling you. Galatians chapter 5. Look at verses 19 through 26. Now the works of the evidence of the flesh are evident. There's sexual immorality. Amen. Impurity. Amen. Sensuality. Amen. Idolatry. Amen. Sorcery. Amen. Enmity. Strife. Jealousy. Fits of anger. Rivalries. Dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Hang on for a second. You ever heard someone say, now you've gone from preaching to meddling? It's like this one time, this preacher was preaching, and this, uh, uh, the preacher went over to this, this lady, and he said, uh, if you had 20 pigs, would you give me 10? The lady said, Honey, Pastor, if I had 20 pigs, I'd give you 10. He said, uh, if you had 10 pigs, would you give me five? She said, Pastor, I love you so much. If I had 10 pigs, I'd give you five. He said, if you had two pigs, would you give me one? She goes, hold on there, Pastor. You know I have two pigs. <laughs> it's one thing to hear it in theory. It's another thing when it hits home. Folks, before I read any further, let's be honest. In this exact same list with sexual immorality, orgies, idolatry, and drunkenness is division, strife, envy, factions. All this stuff that we allow to go on in our churches and do not deal with because that's just how things work. Actually, I was preaching at a church in Live Oak, Florida many years ago, and this church had business meeting in the middle of the revival that I was preaching. And as they were sitting there arguing with each other and making a mess, I finally couldn't take it anymore. And I stood up in the business meeting and I said this. I said, I know according to Robert's rules of order that I'm not legally allowed to speak because I'm not a member of this church. But you've asked me to come and give you spiritual direction and guidance this week. And let me just say something to you. This is embarrassing what's going on in here. When it was all over, a man walks up to me afterwards and he said to me, he goes, that's just how we do things here. We let backbiting, gossip, slander go on in our churches 
And leadership doesn't deal with it. People don't deal with it. We try to put lipstick on the pig and we wonder why our churches are, are weak and crippled. Because we've grieved the Holy Spirit. We've quenched the Holy Spirit. Blessed are those who mourn when they sin. I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you. I, you still sin. And so do I. But let me just tell you, the closer I get to Jesus, the quicker I realize I don't like it. I don't like it. And I want to get it fixed quickly. Keep reading. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the evidence of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, and I've taught you this before, that means if you're born again, if you're saved, if you live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Folks, the Bible's very, very clear that the blessed are those who mourn for their sin. We just think of all the, you know, those lost people, they need to get to that point where they're grieved over their sin so they'll turn to Jesus. You need to be grieved over your sin. I need to still be grieved over my sin. That's why when we look at Isaiah, I think at this point, Isaiah's a believer. Yet, even though Isaiah was a believer, he was grieved because of his lifestyle and he saw the holy God. Go to Romans chapter 1 real quick. I'll give you a little bit of lanyap that the uh, Tuesday night group didn't get. Look at verses 28 through 32. This is after it's talking about how God's wrath is being revealed against the godlessness of mankind. In verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God... God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice those things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Do you see it? Can't be any more clear. Now, let me say something real quick that I'm going to have to deal with next time we come together because we won't have time tonight. When we grieve over our own sins, it makes us spiritually capable of helping others who are caught in sin and not just judge them. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're going to go into that in a lot more detail when we get to blessed are the merciful. But... In order for you to deal with the sin in the church, you just can't say, you know what, I, I agree with you, Pastor. I know lots of people that are slandering and backbiting, and I've already made the list, and I'm going to start making the phone calls tonight, and I'm going to deal with them. No, 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 no. Wait until we get to the blessed of the merciful before you do anything. Because the Bible's very clear that only those who are spiritually mature and are doing it in the right way under the leadership of the Spirit, after having already examined themselves and checked their own I, if you will, for that two by four, are they able to help somebody else who's in trouble? We need to become people who mourn and grieve over our sin. We should not be okay with it. Remember years ago when the Passion of the Christ came out? You know what the biggest thing I got out of that movie was? 
as I sat and watched this portrayal, and by the way, as bloody and horrific as it was, I don't think they did it enough. Because the Bible actually said that he was marred beyond human recognition when he was beaten and crucified. And you could still recognize who he was in the movie. You know what the big thing I got out of that movie that has stuck with me for years is? As I sat there and watched what Jesus went through to take away my sin, I sat there convicted of the Holy Spirit. He went through all this to take away my sin. Why do I still hang on to it? If he went through all this to take it away, why do I still treasure some of it? Folks, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. It's one thing to acknowledge you're pre-spiritually bankrupt. It's another thing to be grieved over it. Oh, but I got good news. What does the passage say in Matthew? Blessed are those who mourn for what? They shall be comforted. Go back to Isaiah. We left off in, in chapter 6 in verse 5. Look what happens next. I remember Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 6. Remember, he's just said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and huh, I'm in trouble. In verse 6 of chapter 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. Folks, the one thing I've come to realize over the years as well is that when I am grieved over my sin... When I mourn and I turn to God for his mercy, he immediately, he immediately gives me comfort. When the prodigal son turned home, you look at the scriptures, the father didn't wait on the porch until he got there. God ran to him. And the Bible teaches, well, let me give you another place here in Isaiah. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. That God will comfort those who mourn. Now, this passage is referring to what's going to happen to the nation of Israel at the end of the tribulation period when they look on him whom they pierce and they mourn and they we grieve. Remember, we've looked at those passages, how all the tribes of Israel are going to be mourning and grieving together over their sin and the fact that they rejected Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 40, look at verses 1 and 2. Uh, it says this. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. By the way, is Israel's uh, warfare ended just yet? No, but at the end of the tribulation period, at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, when they look on him whom they've pierced, when the nation repents and they turn to Jesus, God says, send them comfort. It's over. You've received double for all your sins from my hand, but now I'm going to give you comfort and jump over in the same passage. Chapter 40, look at verses 9 through 11. Go up, on high, up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Obviously the second coming. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Isn't that awesome? When Jesus comes back on the white horse and destroys his enemies, what's he going to do to those on the earth who are mourning for their sin and turning to him for righteousness? He's going to comfort them and he's going to gather them. And folks, you and I have that available to us today. One of the problems, though, with Christians is when we do grieve for our sin, some of you actually like grieving for your sin too much. You ever know anybody that won't forgive themselves? 
They keep beating themselves up. I'm going to say something to you as lovingly as I can, but I need to say it. If you won't forgive yourself because of your sin, that is the highest level of pride. That is the highest level of pride. Because what you're really saying is, I should never have done that. Well, you really think you're that impressive? Folks, we all would do it. There's nothing different from us than anybody else. I would never. Yes, you probably would, apart from Christ. I got saved at eight years old. And like I said, some of the stuff that goes through my mind and some of the things I've done in my past, I'd be ashamed to tell you, you'd never want to listen to me. Of course, don't think you're all of a sudden better than me. If you told me half of the stuff you did, I wouldn't even talk to you. (laughs) But when we don't forgive ourselves, we set ourselves above God. God says, I'll forgive. I freely forgive. I'm glad to forgive. I love to forgive. But you've got to have the right response. You don't got to say, oh, it's okay. I'm saved. No. True kingdom people are grieved when they sin. What did Paul say in Romans 7? Things I want to do, I don't. Things I don't want to do, I do. And then he says, who will save me from this body of death? He was grieved over his sin. And hopefully you are as well. And if you're not, you better check your salvation. Because it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict and to get you to that point. Let's go on to the next one. Go back to Matthew 5. We're not going to be in here very long. But Matthew 5, the next verse. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Go to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they'll soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he'll act. He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Did anybody notice how God describes the meek in this passage, what meekness looks like? It's patiently waiting on God. Meekness Listen to me, it's not weakness. Actually, one of the best illustrations of meekness that I've ever heard was a picture of a bull who's being led by a child on a rope. The bull is powerful and it could easily take charge of the situation. But it has submitted itself because of its role and it's humbled itself and it's meek. Is it powerful or is it weak? Powerful. But meekness is not weakness. Actually, I believe the stronger you are, the more meek you can become. The more you have at your disposal, the more authority you have in this life, the more you have at your disposal financially, the more ways you can actually fix your situation, the more connections you have, the more people you know, the stronger you are in the world's eyes, you actually have the ability to be even more meek than someone who doesn't have all that. Because the measure of your meekness is tied to the amount of your strength that you submit and 
don't trust in as you submit to God. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you totally trusting in God? Or do you struggle with waiting patiently for God to deal with your situation or your adversary? There's a problem in the church today. Part of it's because of the dominion theology. The dominion theology, by the way, is this teaching that we're overcomers through Christ. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. And we take these scriptures and we twist them to make us the ones in charge. Us the ones who are going to conquer and do great things for God. And Actually, we're teaching people to trust in their flesh to accomplish things. And that's not what meekness is. Meekness is saying, if God wants it, it'll happen. And if God doesn't, I'm okay with that. You don't hear that kind of preaching. Folks, I can honestly tell you, I really was okay with whichever the doctor said today, whether my cancer was back or whether it wasn't. I totally trust them. Let me ask you this question. Is God good? Okay, let me ask you this question then. Is he still good if I found out today that my cancer was back? Or did that change? I've actually struggled a little bit with the fact that God's healed me. I'm going to just be honest with you. I love you. We've known each other for a while. I hope you can hear what I want, I want to say here tonight. I've struggled with the fact that he's healed me. You know why? Because when I tell churches around the country that God healed me of cancer, their reaction is shallow. They celebrate. Praise God. Yet, if I had said to those same churches, my cancer's back, the reaction most likely would be, oh, that's so horrible. Did God change? You understand what I'm saying? If God chooses for his glory to do, to show his power through me as I trust in him, like Paul said, I asked for this to be taken away, but God said, I'm going to leave it. If that's God's plan, then I'm okay. I really am okay. But that's not what we've been taught. We've been taught no, you just have enough faith, you can have things your way. And we've been taught to go do great things for God. And that's not meekness, folks. The meekness that we look at here has been exemplified by Jesus, which we're going to get to us in a second. But let me show you a passage of Scripture that may surprise some of you. Some of you might know about this passage. Some of you might not. Go to 1 Corinthians 6. We were already in 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul was dealing with that church who had a leader in the church who was actually sleeping with his father's wife and they were okay with it. Then he goes on in chapter 6 and he deals with the fact that these Christians are suing each other. And listen to verses 7 and 8. He goes in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 7, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Do you hear what he said? He said, why not be wronged? Why do you have to win? The fact that you're even suing each other in the church, is, a, is a, you've already lost. What's wrong with not winning in the situation and trusting God? Well, if I don't do something, he'll do it to somebody else. And I need to make sure that this is taking. Do you hear what's going on here? What does God say? Vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. Folks, this whole attitude of meekness, it's not seen. We, we, we praise the, the, the proud leaders, the ones who are impressive. When the Bible all along says the one that God's going to exalt in the days to come are the ones we consider last. The first, not rise, they're going to be last. The last are the ones who are going to be first. The meek are the ones who are going to be in charge 
when we get into the millennial kingdom. Not those who have jockeyed for position and tried to get votes when it was time to elect deacons. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, John? You're a pastor, you know. Could Jesus have done something about his unfair trial? Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, I got to stop for a second. First Peter chapter two, verse 13. Let me, let me just say something to you that I deal with in churches around the country. I've had, unfortunately, had to deal with many churches who will ignore the city's codes because to follow the city's codes and whatever they're doing in their building would cost more money than they think they can afford, and so they don't follow code to be good stewards. I know of churches that legally, because they have a kitchen, it has to have a certain kind of a fire suppression system or a, a vent hood, and it's very clear that that's what the code is, but that'll cost so many thousands of dollars, and they say that they're only gonna warm things there. We won't do any cooking to get around it, yet they cook. And they're proud of the fact that they've saved money. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. By the way, did you catch who he just said? To who? The emperor. Whoa. By the way, you might hear his name come up again. Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. By, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. He said it again. Didn't, didn't Jesus know what the emperor was like at that time? <laughs> Didn't God know that he was a jerk and against the church? Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you and you do good and suffer for it, you endure. That is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did anybody just catch that? What have we just been called to? To suffer when treated unjustly. I have my rights, Jim. And I'm a child of the king. And I'm not going to let anybody walk over me because I'm a child of God. You ever heard that kind of talk? Jesus said, blessed are those who are meek. They're the ones who are going to be in charge when the new world comes. Oh, keep reading. Verse 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He trusted himself to the one who's keeping track. And he didn't 
exercise his authority that he had. Remember in Matthew 26, Peter starts swinging the sword and Jesus says, put it away. Don't you realize I could just ask my father and he could send a bunch of angels, but that's not his plan right now. Listen closely. I don't want you to automatically assume, because I've had people say to me, the gym, well, what if someone comes into your house tonight and tries to attack you and your kids? Aren't you going to do something? Aren't you going to defend yourself? Listen closely. I, the answer to that question is this. I'm gonna, it's twofold. One is this. Whatever God tells me to do in that instance is what I'm going to do. Because if you understand the scriptures, you'll know that at one point, Paul pulled out his Roman citizen card and said, hey, are you allowed to beat a Roman citizen without a trial when they're about to beat him? But prior to that, in another Roman city with Roman situation, in chapter 16, he didn't pull out his Roman citizen card and he took the beating. In some instances, he was stoned and left for dead. Other times, he got in a basket and snuck out of the city. There's no formula to this. But here's the second part of my answer. If you're going to make me choose one way or the other, I'm going to err on the side of just trusting God and letting whatever happens, happens. If I have to choose, there's a more, way more scriptures that talk about me saying, the Lord's got it, whatever he wants to do, I'll trust him. By the way, in John chapter 19, you don't have to turn there, verses 10 and 11, Pilate's standing there before Jesus and this whole trial's been going on in the middle of the night and it's all sham and don't even get me started how it matches with the Kavanaugh mess and all that kind of stuff. But all these false accusers were coming and all these people are accusing him of stuff. And Pilate says, don't you realize I have the authority to either have you released or to crucify you? Jesus calmly said to him, you wouldn't have any authority over me unless it were given to you by my father. That's meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is immense strength submitted to the Father. There are going to be times when this Father is going to tell you, here's what I want you to do. And there's going to be other times he's going to tell you, in this situation, I don't want you to do that. There's going to be times he's going to tell you to speak up. There's going to be other times he's going to tell you, take the beating. And you're going to have to learn meekness. And letting him show you in each situation what you're to do. We want the rules. We want the formula. Just give me what I'm supposed to do, preacher. What you've just asked is, could you just show me how to live without having to check with Jesus? That's what you're asking, right? When people say, what is the policy when it comes to this? What is The Bible says we're to be walking in the Spirit. Listening to the Spirit. Being led of the Spirit. And we want someone just to tell us, what's the rule? I'll follow the rule. You're really asking, how can I live my life without ever having to talk to Jesus? Oh, by the way, I got good news. I got good news. The meek shall be given authority and dominion on the earth in the new world. Uh, go back to Psalm 37. I'm going to show you real quick some things that just jump off the page. In Psalm 37, look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell where? In the land and befriend faithfulness. Go to verse 9. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall what? Inherit the land. Go to verse 11. But the meek shall what? Inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Look at verse 22. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Look at verse 29. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Look at verse 34. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land, and you will look on when the wicked are cut off. Those who are, I'll get right to you, Tim. Well, those who are meek in this world, 
Those who are willing to just suffer, even if it means suffering, because of God's plan and his purpose in the life to come are going to be able to exercise that full authority and they get to rule and reign in the world to come. Go ahead. What's your question? You're going to have to talk a little louder for this microphone to pick you up, remember. So if you're, um, if you're meek and you're mourning for... Um, you're mourning because of your sin. You grieve because of your sin and you're meek. Yes. What? Um, doesn't that mean um, everybody should be forgiven or should be... Yes. You're actually getting to where we're going to go when we get to the merciful. His question was, if the scripture is saying that if you're meek and mourning because of your sin, doesn't that mean that everybody should be forgiving? Dude, that's insight, but that's next Bible study, so now you're in trouble for slowing me down. No, I'm just kidding. Go to Revelation chapter 5. Go to Revelation chapter 5. I want you to see this. Revelation chapter 5, look at verses 6 through 10. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall what reign on the earth oh by the way who are the ones that are going to reign on the earth the meek in this life don't worry about jockeying for position don't worry about marketing yourself stop trying to get your name out there and just rest in a God who said, I have a plan for everybody and I'll accomplish it. And if you just trust me and walk with me, well, I'm going to say it to you again. I've said it many times. If you walk with Jesus every single day, you'll end up exactly where you're supposed to be. And you won't even have to worry about how you get there. Go to the next one. Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled now, it's one thing to know you're a sinner. It's one thing to know you're poor in spirit. It's another thing to mourn because of that. Like I said, there are people that would acknowledge they're sinners, but who cares? There are others who acknowledge they're sinners and also will say, I'm in trouble because of it, and I hate the fact that I'm a sinner, and I'm grieved over the fact that I'm a sinner. But it's a third thing to seek a way out of it. See, there are going to be others who are going to say, yeah, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm grieved over the fact that I'm a sinner, but what can I do? There's nothing, there's no help for me. No, no, no. Blessed are those who realize they're poor in spirit. Blessed are those who grieve over that. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what they don't have, which is righteousness. Oh, did anybody catch that this righteousness is not already in us, but it must come from somewhere else? You don't hunger and thirst for something you already got. Have you ever had a big meal? Has anybody ever had a big meal? Has anybody ever eaten so much that you have a hard time actually standing straight up? I remember that as a kid. I used to love the buffets, man. And one night, my dad, I, I made this statement as a kid. I said, oh, man, that was such a good. It was a prime rib buffet with potatoes and vegetables. And they were carving it off this big leg of cow hanging off the, of the, the ceiling. And I sat down at the table and said, man, I could do 10 plates of that. 
My dad says, all right, put your money where your mouth is. You said you can do 10 plates. Now you got to do 10 plates. So I was like, that's no problem. But it was a problem because I had 10 plates of potatoes and vegetables as well. And at the end of that meal, I remember I was probably 13 or 14. I couldn't even stand up. By the way, was I hungry? No, not anymore. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're acknowledging that it's not already there and you need it. Again, does this apply to the lost person or to the believer? Both. In order for the lost person to be saved, they can't just say, I know I'm a sinner, and they can't just be grieved over the fact they're a sinner. They need to then seek to get this righteousness from somewhere else. Oh, as you're going to see in the time we have left, for those of us who are Christians, we need to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness daily. Believe me, Jim, haven't I already been given righteousness? Well, let me ask you this question. Do you live 100% righteously now that you've been given righteousness? Now, we've already acknowledged that we still sin and we still grieve over our sin. Oh, we still need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I don't believe many Christians fully understand that. I don't think many Christians really understand that they need to wake up every day hungering and thirsting for more righteousness. Even though we've already been given righteousness. Go to a... Well, for the sake of time, I don't turn there. You hopefully all know this. In John 6 and John 7, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If anybody's hungry, let them come to where? Come to me. Uh, if he said, I am the water of living water. If anybody's thirsty, let them come to me. Hopefully you all understand that the only way you can receive righteousness is through Jesus Christ and by turning to him. But I want you to see how this righteousness comes from outside of us. It doesn't come from within us. Go to Romans chapter 10. Look at verses 1 through 3. Paul's talking about the Jews. He says, My brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness. They even were hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but not really because they thought that it came from within them. They were seeking righteousness, but they thought that they could produce the righteousness. No, the righteousness that you have, if you're going to hunger and thirst for it, has to come from outside of you. You don't already have it. You can't work it up. Go to uh, Rome, uh, Philippians chapter 3. I love this passage here. I love what Paul says. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. Paul says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, he says, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, about how good I've lived, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, I'm going to ask you an honest question. This isn't a trick one. Did Paul write this before he was saved or after he was saved? 
Oh, without question, it was after he was saved. And what is he saying? I want a righteousness that doesn't come from me being good. It comes from faith in Christ. I'm still hungering for more righteousness. Go ahead. He was declared, yes, Genesis 15, 6 is where you're quoting. He believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. We have been given righteousness, but now we need to have him live that righteousness through us. Even though you are righteous, we don't manifest it and the world doesn't see the righteousness of Christ. And that's the, what we're talking about. We don't need to hunger and say, I'm lost, I'm not saved. No, no, I'm declared righteous. Yet, as we've already admitted, we still sin. We still grieve over that sin. We should then not just say, well, what can I do? I guess I can't do anything. You ever heard someone say, well, we're only human? I mean, people are going to be people. You ever heard that kind of talk? No. Those who realize they're sinners, even after you're saved, you still struggle with sin. Those who are grieved over that, even after you're saved, are then hopefully going to still hunger and thirst for righteousness on a daily basis. Now, how do we do it? We hunger and thirst for righteousness. Where does that righteousness come from? From Jesus. So we have to go to Jesus on a daily basis. Real quickly, go to Ephesians chapter 5. we got 10 minutes left, maybe 8. You go to Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. He's writing to Christians again. And he's telling them, guys, you shouldn't be dealing with this sexual struggles. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but is anybody out there still struggling with sexual temptation? If you say you're not, you're lying to me. It's something many of us struggle with off and on in different ways. Impurity or covenants must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that's an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, we do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Look at verse 10. I'm going to read it to you three times because I want it to stick in your brain. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I'm going to say it again. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I'm going to say it one more time. I want you to hear this. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when, by the way, how are we going to expose them if we can't talk about them? How do you expose it if you can't talk about it? You don't know? You live righteously. You live as children of the light, and you flip the light switch on, it becomes evident who is and who isn't. Exactly. When we moved to Florida, and I lived in New Orleans as well and had the same problem, uh, anybody else got roaches? You know, we have to pay so much a month to have this guy come spray our house all the time. Otherwise, we'll be run over with roaches. But when we moved to Florida, they used to love the back porch. And at night, 
I would just flip on the light and they would run. Now, I didn't stay there and say, you're a cockroach, you're a cockroach, you're a cockroach. No, I just turned the light on and it became evident that they say, hey, you know, the same way. How we expose it is we don't talk about it. I can't believe you're doing that. And you no, no, you just live as children of the light. And the Lord, you ever had somebody say to you, pardon my French? I love it. Of course, it's not French because I've taken French and I don't know those words in French. But at the same time, I love the I, I'm actually cool with it when people say that, because that means something's happening about me that has made them feel convicted about what they just said. Keep reading, though, is where it gets important. It's shameful to even speak about the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. That's what we just talked about. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Anybody remember verse 10? What did verse 10 say? Try to discern what? What is pleasing to God. Well, here it says, all right, you want to know what God's will is? Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Stop for a second. You got to let this sink in. It's no accident that Paul says, you want to know what the will of the Lord is? Don't get under the control of alcohol and let it control you, which is debauchery. But in the same way, drink of Jesus. Drink of the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, so I say walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You want to know what the will of God is? You don't know what pleasing to God is? Not you trying to be a good Christian and trying to check off, I've done this and I haven't done this and I've done this and I haven't done this. You want to be pleasing to God? Get up on a daily basis and just say, Lord, I want you in control today. I want you to guide me. Guide my mouth. Guide my thoughts. Guide my actions. Show me where you want me to go. Tell me what you want me to do. And folks, when you try to do that and when you learn to walk in the spirit you'll see God do amazing things I don't have time to tell you the amazing God stories of what he did while I was in the ICU because I had you know I was actually thanking the Lord I said you know what Lord if there was a week for me to be in the ICU it was a good one I wasn't scheduled to preach anywhere that next Sunday the only thing I had to cancel was our two Bible studies but otherwise it was really a good week for it I thought this is pretty cool and Lord you've orchestrated this you've got a purpose and a plan so I'm just going to chill here in the bed I didn't have a bad gig. I'm laying in bed, flipping the channels on the TV. I'm not allowed to move. So if anybody, I'm going to preach it. They're going to have to come to my room. And God started to send doctors and nurses from all over all the different floors because word started to spread about what he was doing and what my ministry was. And people started coming to ask me questions. And I passed out more business cards for just a preacher ministry while I was in the ICU than I probably have in a long time. They're everywhere. I love Christians. They're great. But here's the deal. Listen to what he says. Be being filled with the Spirit. That's what it means in the Greek. In order to be drunk, you have to drink and drink. And to stay drunk, you got to keep drinking. In order to be filled with the Spirit or under the control of the Spirit, you have to keep drinking. On a daily basis. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says what? You're to lay your body on the altar, your flesh on the altar, which is your spiritual act of worship, which is your reasonable service. You're not going to live by the pattern of this world, but you're going to be transformed by the daily renewing of your mind. And you'll know what God's will is, what his pleasing, perfect, and good will is. He'll lead you to how he wants you to live. Folks, you want to shine for Jesus? Stop trying to live like Jesus. 
You want to shine for Jesus? Stop trying to do good things for Jesus. Yes, ma'am. Exactly. I love it. For those who didn't hear her, she said that word trying to discern what's pleasing to God. The root of that word actually is receive what is pleasing to God. That's it. Folks, all he's wanting us to do is just walk with him and to trust in him and let him do his thing through you and believe that he will. Uh, I don't have time to take you to Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, where it says, in the same way in which you received him as Lord, just walk in him. Oh, by the way, what's the good news? What's the good news? I'm going to close with this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for what? Nope, that's the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled or be satisfied, depending on your translation. Did you hear that? If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're going to have it. Did anybody catch that? God's word promises that if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, in order to be saved, you're going to be saved. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, ask for salvation and say, Lord Jesus, I want it. Lord Jesus, I need you to do it. Lord, I'm trying to do it. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I can't. I keep trying to stop sinning, but I can't. Lord, I want you to do this. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to experience righteousness. And you're going to look back and go, man, he's doing a work. Because I'm not doing the stuff I used to do. Those things are going away. I'm not going to have you turn there, but you can write it down and... If you go back look later on and look at, look at Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13, Jesus tells a story about the friend that comes at midnight. And he says he doesn't get up and help him because he's his friend, but he gets up because of the guy's impudence or shamelessness. In other words, Jesus said this guy gets up at midnight and helps the friend because he, in his mind, thought of all the people he could call at midnight for help and he felt like I was someone that would be willing and able not just able but willing you know what I'm talking about you ever broken down and you got to think who can I call to help me you're not going to call everybody that's your friend because some of them are going to say I'll do it but you owe me others are going to be griping at you because you didn't take good care of your car your brain's going to call the one who you know would be not only able to help you but glad to do it and that's what that word means he comes because he helps him because this guy was willing to ask shamelessly because he saw him as someone that would not only be able but willing, glad to. And then he goes on and he says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And then he says this, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit those who ask him, not just for salvation, for daily life. I love you. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for coming.